Welcome to the Sustainable Value Chains podcast with EcoVadis. My name is Fergal Byrne. Join me as I speak to senior business leaders building sustainable value chains across a wide range of industries. We explore key questions related to the drive to sustainability, from procurement to the role of technology and innovation, regulatory pressures and labour standards, transparency and risk management. We explore what is working, the latest thinking, and identify key lessons and insights. So thank you very much, Julio, for joining me today on the Sustainable Value Chains podcast with EcoVadis. Thanks, uh, Fergal, for, uh, for having me on today. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about some of the key issues around AI and procurement and indeed sustainability. But maybe can you just begin, Julio, and tell us a little bit about your background and your role at Danone? Yes, yeah, so uh, I lead uh, globally the insights and analytics team uh, for procurement at Danone. And this is a team where we do different activities, everything around data and technology. On one end, we we have a, a development team we put together with our IT colleagues where we have data scientists, data engineers, uh, reporting experts. This is the build team. This is when we have a, a need that we need to create the solution, a data product, and we make it ourselves. Uh, and we use you know, uh, cloud technologies to do data science and, and business intelligence. Uh, we have a pool of product owners for either solutions we make or we buy uh, that everybody in the organization should benefit from. So if we have a product you know, around spend, spend analytics, every single category in procurement uses that solution, then we are the owners. Uh, in other cases, we might have... Uh, a solution that is uh, category specific, maybe for packaging or for milk, then that team, uh, those buyers over there, they, they are the owners of the solution. So we have a, a make team, we have a, a pool of product owners, and then we have a group of analytics translators that they act as business partner uh, for analytics and digital um, towards the categories. So they understand the needs of the different buyers and categories, and they turn these needs into solutions, roadmaps uh, to meet those needs. And it could be, again, making an algorithm, could be a quick analytics uh, solution or buying a tool, uh, some technology from the market. So in some cases, we make the solution. Sometimes we get it from the market. This is what what we do in, a, in my team in Danone. My background has been uh, in data, in data science, in AI, as a practitioner, as a data scientist myself, and as well as uh, leading uh, teams of, uh, of data scientists, uh, reporting experts, and also a bit of digital. Very, very interesting. And we'll touch on and discuss some of these questions and also about the make and buy decision and so forth. But now companies have, I guess, a range of drivers for their sustainable procurement programs. And some maybe emphasize risk and compliance. Others focus on meeting corporate sustainability commitments, enhancing value creation. And I'm just wondering, what would you say is the balance of these drivers for your sustainable procurement program at Danone? And how, I guess, that contributes to your sustainability goals? So in the noun, we've been uh, historically very uh, committed uh, to sustainability. Uh, actually, our mission is uh, one, 
one health one planet and we are we take to heart not only to thrive uh, from a business perspective but also make uh, our planet to thrive our communities our suppliers uh, so this is really in the in the dna of, of danone what you see in the last years is um, due to to covid to the supply chain disruptions most of the attention in procurement world was to mitigate those risks and it was everything uh, about yeah, the supply chains being disrupted deliveries not not arriving to the factory so full focus was to to keep those shipments arriving to the factory so we could produce uh, but like you mentioned there are other risks risk uh, from a sustainability perspective uh, reputational perspective and this is where I, I see the company and our peers also focusing uh, in the last year and uh, for the years to come. We are making uh, quite some uh, public announcements and commitments to reduce uh, CO2, to reduce uh, methane emissions, because we have a very uh, big agricultural food, footprint with all our uh, dairy uh, operations. So we see that um, getting uh, a lot of attention uh, in the last years and uh, we're very happy to see how procurement can support uh, these commitments right right very interesting and i guess the heart of the question which i'm which i'm interested in exploring is what do you see as the main benefits of implementing sustainable a sustainable procurement strategy there are multiple uh, if you look at as a consumer, um, you want to to buy products from brands that are aligned to with your values, right? And there's much more interest by consumers to to protect the planet, to reduce uh, packaging, uh, to recycle, uh, to have cleaner uh, manufacturing activities. So, on one end, you are delivering what uh, what customers want at the end it's our mission also to have a cleaner planet so that's one of, of the benefits um, what we start seeing also in some cases is that having strong sustainability commitments is not this is not disconnected with with revenue so in some cases uh, you actually achieve more sales uh, while you are investing in sustainable solutions. So very often people say, okay, there's a cost, uh, either uh, you look at profit or you look at, uh, either you increase profits or you reduce CO2 emissions, but it's, they're not compatible. And you start to see that that's not always the case. Uh, so that's another, um, another benefit. I can imagine there are also connections, you know, to, to, to resilience. Uh, to securing the supply uh, that uh, that could be derived uh, from this. Right, right. Now, I spoke to Kevin Rabanovich at Mars in a recent Scope 3 Agenda podcast with Ecovadis about just how big a challenge it is to develop a more sustainable procurement function. And I'm just wondering what you see as some of the key challenges, Julio. So let's, uh, because I see different dimensions to this, um, let's uh, let's come back to 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 some of those topics later. But uh, there is one, especially on the technology side of 
of how you're going to measure your commitments, how you're going to prove, how you do that in an automated way. So that's a lot of uh, about collecting the right data uh, so you can measure and improve. Uh, there's also a bit of how you, the, the, the procurement practice changes, right? So it's also about how we're, how we're writing our contracts. How are we negotiating with our suppliers? Are we setting the right sustainability incentives in our in our contracts? Are we stimulating the suppliers also to to get greener? Um, are we optimizing for the cheapest solution, or are we adding the planet as a as one of the conditions uh, in the negotiations? And maybe we're willing to leave a bit of of money and productivity on the table while still uh, moving the needle in uh, in sustainability. So, yeah, are our contracts reflecting the kind of company we want to be, the kind of relationship with the planet we want to have? So that, those things are changing. Um, if you look at, at the data side, there is a need for collecting, if you focus on scope three, Okay, what are the missions uh, of our suppliers? Uh, what kind of measures are they putting in place to to improve? Are they actually improving? How do you collect that data? These are things that are not trivial, and like I said, there are going to be quite some developments in the in the years to come, because everybody all of a sudden they need to report on these things. They need to proof that they're moving the needle but you need to do that scale like historically you might you've had solutions where you you need as a company you want to know what your supplier is emitting and then you need to send a, a form and maybe they fill it in and you collect it and well you do that exercise maybe once every two years but that does not give you the resolution and and insights in the dynamics, right? You don't know if that supplier is improving week over week, month over month. Uh, so collecting the data, I think, is still a bit of a challenge. I see a lot of ambitions, but also sense a sort of disconnect between what the state of the art today is and what we need to, to put in place to have um, proper sustainable sourcing, sustainable procurement practices. Very interesting, very interesting. Now, can you share some concrete examples of how Danone is leveraging technology, analytics, and AI in its procurement function to further its sustainability goals? Okay. I will focus on what do we have in our legal contracts around sustainability, and also on the spend side, how are we spending the money? Are we spending it on with the right suppliers? So if you look at, at contracts, you want to know, at least we wanted to know, is uh, if our contracts include the kind of sustainability clauses we want them to have, either if it's for direct materials, as if it's for uh, indirect procurement for services, right? Uh, in some areas, you might look more at deforestation or you might look at uh, emissions, while in others, maybe you look more at uh, diversity and inclusion in the workforce, 
uh, or how they treat uh, their employees. Now, if you look, we have a corpora of thousands and thousands of, of legal contracts with our suppliers. And uh, if you want to understand, answer the question, are we um, including the right sustainability clause in the contracts? Well, you need to read them all, and that's quite a quite an endeavor. So how we approach it was we developed some AI solutions and um, analytics to extract all the relevant information of our legal contracts. So you can see, okay, uh, what kind of payment terms we have, governing law, what kind of liabilities we have included in the contracts, as well as what kind of sustainability clauses we have. And then because you're you're, you can do this at scale, right? You don't need to read it. You just let the algorithms identify the right information in the contract. You can then summarize what kind of coverage we have, either per category. So, okay, how are our ingredients contracts doing? What about our packaging contracts? Uh, what about our uh, outsourced professional services contracts doing? Are they scoring? Do we have a good coverage or we still we have very weak legal terms for sustainability there. And then you can see, okay, in this category, I need to improve. Uh, this other category is doing well. What can we learn to help the ones that are not doing so well? So this is, in short, one way that we leverage technology for sustainability by doing a sort of a health check of our legal contracts. And then after that health check, then you start uh, working with the legal team to adjust certain clauses here and there uh, to raise that quality. So that's one one area where technology has been helping. The other area is uh, spent analytics and then sustainability. We're combining both. So we have our spent analytics uh, platform in the cloud where you can see how much, uh, how you're spending the money, uh, how you're spending it, in which categories, in which geographies, uh, with which suppliers, uh, in which months of the year, in which period. So there's quite some granularity. What we're doing also is to um, to connect to those suppliers that we have over there, how well they score in, in sustainability terms. So we do our sustainability assessments. Uh, every supplier needs to submit their forms either if they are for direct materials or for or for services. And then we collect these, uh, these forms and we integrate in our spend. So you can see uh, either a country or a category or a, or a supplier uh, or, a, or a business unit, how well they're scoring sustainability. And, but then you can also see, okay, are my top spend suppliers, the ones I spend most of my money, are they scoring well? Or am I spending most of my money with, uh, you know, with, with heavy polluting companies? Uh, where are the good performers? Uh, maybe I need to give them more business, right? So it allows you to, to see how you're using your money as a procurement function. So these are a couple of examples uh, that we, we leverage data and AI and technology to to give a better understanding on on how well we're doing in, in our sustainability efforts. 
Fascinating, fascinating. Thanks, Julio. Can you walk us through the digital transformation journey within Danone's procurement function and maybe tell us a little bit about the technology stack you've implemented? Yeah, so I would say uh, we have, um, we're in a journey uh, to digitalize and, and leverage technology for procurement. I would say that now maybe you can trace it back to perhaps 10 years ago when we created, I think it was around 10 years ago, it was even before my time, uh, when Danone decided to, to centralize the procurement function. So before everything was spread in the countries and we decided to create a, a global procurement function uh, in order to achieve, uh, you know, economies of scale, uh, negotiate globally, get better deals. Um, there was, of course, a big interest to do this for, for direct materials. Um, and creating that first global function forced also back then procurement, you know, to start establishing processes, uh, start working on master data, uh, using the same ERPs. Uh, and this initial effort uh, paved the way because once you start using the same ERP and the same process, then you start having the same kind of data and you can already do bit of analysis and improvements. That was around, I think, 10 years ago, maybe a bit less. Um, around four years ago, what you saw is um, procurement uh, in the known and as same in other FMCGs of a similar size, uh, was a substantial function, quite some FTEs, uh, managing a lot of spend, many, many billions of euros uh, of spend. Um, and at the same time, everybody in procurement was uh, doing a lot of activities, right? So we had generalists. One day they were negotiating, another day they were doing a category strategy, another day they were fixing a blocked invoice, uh, or they were crunching some numbers in Excel to, to get some insights. And what we decided was, okay, we have the scale and the reach the business case to start professionalizing, starts uh, creating a, a front office, a middle office, a back office, and equipping each of these teams with the right technology, right? Uh, so it was an effort to create new processes, new operating model, and in order to support these processes and new operating model and specializations, technology was playing a big role. So we created, we revamped our source to pay backbone, uh, we deployed uh, very good technology for sourcing, for contracting, for procure to pay. And, and these were the typical enterprise solutions uh, that you can find uh, in, uh, for these activities in procurement. What we also did was to deploy a few best of breed digital solutions. Uh, so instead of going for enterprise, we went for some solutions that were the best at what they did. And, and our vision was you, you first fix your process, your activities, then you deploy technology to enable those processes. And these technology and tools, they're not only useful for the buyers and the community because you work in a digital way, but because they are software, they're also going to generate data, right? So every time you make a contract, a contract is data. Every time you, you issue a, 
a purchase requisition or a, or a purchase order or an invoice, that is data. There is information in there. So if you have these digital tools that everybody uses, they generate data, you store the data in your data lake, and then you can do analytics and AI on top of that. Right? So you don't only create efficiencies by digitalizing, using that data allows you to optimize how you work, to predict outcomes, to simulate, right? And that's been our journey in the last, let's say, four years. Define operating model, the process, equip with digital tools, these digital tools generate data, collect the data to simplify complex activities or to automate simple activities in some cases to provide the right insights to the right people right now now things seem to be moving at warp speed on the ai front right now but can you tell us about the beginning when you first started to see the potential of ai at danon and where you are on that journey now and and indeed what the future might hold in your view yes so if you look at artificial intelligence as uh, a technology that allows you to make predictions of what will happen based on previous patterns. Uh, uh, let's not look at these uh, learning systems like you see nowadays uh, or generative uh, systems like ChatGPT, but just say you have data that represents events, there are patterns, and you learn those patterns and try to extrapolate and make predictions. Now, AI you could be exposed to AI in different ways, right? Either you could make it yourself, so you have your own data, your data scientists uh, start coding and make predictive algorithms. Uh, they train the models with that data and they make predictions, so you're making it yourself. Uh, or, for instance, you could be using tools and technologies that themselves have AI integrated to uh, to provide a better service, right? So our spent analytics tool, we did not develop it, we bought it from the market. However, that tool, in order to provide the insights to us, they use AI. They use It uses AI to classify suppliers, to translate, uh, to classify spent in one bucket or the other. It, there's, it, there is AI behind. Uh, and this AI allows you to do a lot of uh, decisions at scale. Uh, the same is for sustainability, right? So uh, we work uh, with Ecobadis uh, as well. And I know Ecobadis has their own AI uh, bits and pieces here and there in their solution to provide uh, better insights, right? So either you make it or you just use tools that leverage AI for you. So I see this. Um, being uh, being used now. If you if I start dreaming a bit, uh, AI can help in the in the near future. Uh, once we sort out all these challenges I mentioned about collecting the data about emissions, collecting the data from our suppliers on sustainability, what we want to do today is, in simple terms, report what is happening. How much am I emitting? Uh, how much are my suppliers emitting? That's the first step, that every 
data journey starts like that. What has happened? Is the, probably everybody in the audience has seen these these kind of slides uh, where you have uh, you know uh, descriptive, predictive, optimized uh, evolution of, of your data journey. So first you just report what has happened. Now once you can report well, that means you you have sorted out your data, and you will report on what are my CO2 emissions here. Uh, last month. But once you can do that, the next step is to use AI to say, well, but can I predict my emissions, right? Because if I know how I'm emitting, I can try to find what are my drivers for those emissions, and I can try to make predictions towards the future. So I can forecast my emissions and see if I'm deviating from where I should be. Um, so this, it will just be a natural step. Today is just to be able to report on our commitments. In a few months, in a year, use, a lot of people are also going to be predicting uh, their emissions. And then the next step is to, yeah, to simulate them, do what if scenarios, what if I change this, what will happen to my emissions. That's a different branch of analytics that does not have to do with AI. But I see this, this happening. Uh, at the end of the day, I guess this all boils down to helping executives make more informed decisions. I think um, AI can can give you better insights, and then as a business leader, you need to take that as an input and you make the decision in this case, right? So AI can help you to say most likely this was what is going to happen within these ranges of, of uncertainty, right? So you could say, okay, we'll have these emissions plus minus 10%. Uh, and of that, we're quite sure, right? Now, putting the number plus the uncertainty range can really help the business leader to see, okay, uh, can I trust this or not? And then not only providing a prediction or number, but what is it, it, is it based on? Why are you predicting this and not that? Uh, what are the... Uh, the variables, the indicators that are driving those predictions. So if you provide this in an easy to understand way, prediction, ranges, uh, what is contributing to the prediction, then the expert can uh, is better equipped uh, to decide. Now you've mentioned earlier a few of the AI procurement projects you're working on. Can you walk us through your process for identifying and assessing potential AI projects in procurement at Danone. What factors do you consider, Julio, in terms of feasibility and impact? Um, so we have, uh, we follow a little methodology to, to capture ideas and assess them. What we do is, if you look at the people, I mentioned we have these analytics translators. They are the first one to collect all these needs and ideas. Uh, we regularly do brainstorms, uh, ideation sessions, where we collect everything that is hurting the buyers, the categories, so the sustainability team. We we make an inventory of all these things, right? Now, we then we need to 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 define them a bit better, and we always look in two dimensions. One is feasibility. Can we do it? And the can we do it? There are different things that affect that, right? Maybe do we have the data or not? Uh, do we have the, the tools or not? Do we have the knowledge to 
to be able to to address that need or not. Uh, feasibility can have different angles. The other second dimension is uh, value impact, right? So we always want to work on the things that are reasonably easy to do with enough impact. Um, so that's a very two by two matrix, uh, easy to do. Now, uh, we after that, you end up having a list of more appealing or less appealing ideas that should become projects. The next step is we do a detailed technical assessment. Okay, what are we going to build here? What are we going to deploy? Uh, does it fit the uh, you know requirements of our IT department? Does it meet our cybersecurity requirements? Our uh, we do several technical assessments. We define how it's going to be built. We define what kind of data we're going to need. Uh, where is it going to come from? What kind of people we're going to need in the team to develop this? The other aspect is, what's the business case? And here uh, we have a couple of um, strict rules. One is, if there's not a product owner, like if somebody requests, uh, uh, why don't you guys work on this? But they don't say, and this is the person owning this this need and this project. No product owner on the business side, we don't do it. So if the milk team says we want to do it and the milk team does not provide a product owner, they say that means to me they don't have a skin in the game, then not worth doing. Put a product owner. Then with this product owner, we co-develop the business case. The business case needs to be positive. Uh, and a business case needs to deliver a return on investment. And of course, being procurement, very often the return on investment is uh, savings, productivity, cost avoidance. It needs to be measurable. Um, and we will measure it. So every month my team gathers and we evaluate how these business cases are progressing. What was the initial number that we were going to deliver? And how are we? Are we delivering those savings? Are we delivering that productivity? A business case can also be about license to operate. So how do we want to work as procurement? What is almost mandatory to exercise our activities? Could be a business case, but could be as well sustainability. So we have, we've had some business cases where the rationale for the investment was this project is contributing to our B Corp certification, for instance, right? It was not about the project is going to cost so many euros, but the return is that we're going to increase by such and such percent the number of business units that are B Corp certified, right? That's why one way we're trying to put sustainability in our business cases. To recap, uh, Technical feasibility, data feasibility, can we do it? In other words, is the size of the price appealing enough? And sometimes that is appealing because it contributes to sustainability. And we try to keep people honest because at the beginning, everybody to in order to launch a project, they're very optimistic. And I've also been very optimistic about my own projects. Um, <laughs> but then, like, we more or less track the conversion. Like we track of all the initial business cases, it was the total amount. 
ROE that was promised, what it was actually delivered. Well, I can tell you it's not 100% delivery of what is initially promised, but uh, we try to, to stay honest. In the past, uh, I guess a lack of readily available AI talent has often hindered yes. the uh, effective implementation of AI initiatives. And I'm just wondering, can you explain at Danone how, how you navigate this challenge and how you go about determining whether to develop an AI solution in-house or uh, to procure an existing one from the market? And are there certain areas where developing in-house provides a strategic advantage? Well, it was not easy um, because like this make or buy decision. Uh, because if you go to, you ask this question, should we make it or should we buy it to somebody in procurement who is a buyer, of course, she's going to say we buy, right? That's what we do in procurement. We buy things. So coming with a story that maybe some of them we should develop, uh, it's not so intuitive. Uh, um, I'm exaggerating a bit, but it's been a journey. Uh, how we looked at it is, you know, like you take this spent analytics. I could have put a, a pool of data scientists and AI people and engineers to build it from scratch, or uh, could buy it from the market. Our decision is, okay, is there something in the market that is good enough and Okay, yes, there is something that is quite good. What do we want? Do we want to spend the time to try to develop something better? Or should we use just that time by in something else and we just buy the tool and deploy it, right? Because sometimes there is a bit of an opportunity cost, like, well, I could be spending one year developing this solution or I implement it and I focus on something else. Um, so we thought, well, we're not gonna per se do a better job than what's out there, therefore we better buy. We've had also some situations where we looked at, at at this question, right? Should we make it or buy it? And then we ended up making it ourselves because we thought, okay, this project, it's about the milk. We're a, traditionally a dairy company, right? Although we're expanding into plant-based uh, products and, uh, and, and certain beverages, we have a huge dairy business. This project is all about processing data from the dairy business. It's about dairy operations. It's about valorizing how we, the things we do with our milk. I think it, it's better to develop the know-how internally to have a solution that it meets our needs, but we can also evolve it. And if we get better at it, we're gonna leverage our own data much better, right? So it's it's in those areas where you playing with your own data, it gives you an edge, it gives you an advantage. It's not commoditized yet. So this, there has been areas where we decide to do that, or we made a very conscious decision um, to tackle a, a couple of projects that required, now it's a bit technical, but optimizing uh, scenarios, mathematical optimization. So you, on one end you can have AI to do predictions, but you can have mathematical optimizations to find the optimal scenario. Now, 
knowing how to do that is very valuable in supply chain because you might optimize how you're sourcing, but you might also optimize your production, your schedules, your logistics. So it's kind of a knowledge that you know you're going to reuse many times when you're creating your end-to-end -end supply chain, you're always optimizing things. Knowing how to do it is important and you don't want always to rely on external companies for that. So you want to keep a bit of that knowledge in-house. Even if you, in some cases you work with external partners, but you need to have your employees knowing what they talk about. That's a valuable insight, Julio. Can I ask, how does Danone interact with the emerging digital ecosystem and procurement? Are you keen to collaborate with tech startups or other digital innovators in the industry? Well, let's be honest, I think we could do better. Uh, my team, of course, looks at the technology that is out there. What are the startups are appearing in the market? What do they offer? Um, how do they relate? They relate and compete with these more established enterprise solutions, you know? Um, so we're always looking at that. To be honest, uh, coming back to the same, maybe it's, an, it's an, a bit of an excuse, but last two years, almost three, everything has been about survival in, in procurement and supply chain. Now things are coming back to, to more uh, you know, manageable levels so we can focus on other things. I mentioned we start giving a big push to sustainability, but we start also giving a big push to partnering, to innovation via our suppliers. Now, partnering with suppliers to innovate traditionally in a FMCG company has been what kind of new ingredients, new packaging, new manufacturing capabilities these suppliers bring to us, right? So it's every, every most of the innovation was about things that end up in the finished goods. Now, what we try to do is also say, no, but we can also partner with suppliers to innovate in our IT landscape, in, to bring digital innovations to procurement. Um, so these are things that we start to bring into the, into the discussion to put in the agenda. We also innovate via digital, right? So we're gonna run, we're preparing a few events with suppliers uh, with a innovation optic and lens. We're also gonna bring uh, some digital uh, suppliers over there to see how they can, um, um, how to say, yeah, facilitate our uh, journey, uh, how digital can support our ambitions and what kind of collaboration we're going to establish with them. Finally, uh, Julio, I, I'm, I'm just wondering what about, what are some of the ethical or legal challenges that people need to think about when using AI? Uh, so, okay, um, I, I hope I tell you an answer that is a little bit different than what is expected. So when, when you ask that, usually people say, okay, yes, privacy issues, right? Like uh, confidentiality, you're putting uh, data, business data into an algorithm made by somebody, some company in Silicon Valley, will they discover your business secrets? Uh, how do you keep biases out of the algorithms, right? Um, there is bias in your data, how you treat uh, 
different, uh, I don't know, ethnic groups or, uh, uh, and this, that's what everybody looks at. And, and of course, it's a big, big topic. What I, I want to answer a little bit different is, and not all the companies realize, but, you know, you, you start doing data and AI, and you might be opening the door to new business models, right? And that also has some legal repercussions, uh, because if you're just a, a cost center, well, now you create a new business model, you become a profit center. There's a transition, there's things you need to put in place. I'll give you an example. If if we get very good, this is just hypothetical, but if we get very good at doing AI for dairy management of dairy farms or some sorts, why can we not offer that as a, as a product, as a service, right? Like we make yogurts, but if we make very good at doing AI for manufacturing yogurts, we could offer that to other dairy, factor, uh, dairy manufacturers or to other FMCGs uh, or other industries. So getting good at AI offers, you could create different businesses for uh, that you're used to. How do you accommodate that? Are you going to create a separate legal entity to commercialize your innovations? Are you going to create, a, I don't know, a data lab with an and a funding uh, arm to to fund those initiatives, try to commercialize them? Are you going to partner with suppliers? It's another one, like you might decide to uh, to make the solution, build the whole AI with by yourself. But what you could also do is say, you know, what I have is the business application. I have the data, but I don't want to make the tool. But hold on, there is a, a startup over there. They're developing a product. What they need is real business data an application to develop their solution. Why don't I partner with them? I say, well, you can you can develop your product using my data, but then we go to market together, right? Or I get a special benefit uh, pricing once you develop the solution. Or you know, there are different business models around that that all needs to be checked uh, by legal experts how to do it. And honestly, we're not prepared for this. So. This is one way of answering your question that I, I hope is a little bit different. Because um, every, everybody thinks about the privacy, the biases and all that, but what about the, also the opportunities? Yes, yes, that's right. It's obviously a, a pretty fervent discussion in the public domain at the moment and in different arenas with the chat on generative AI and so forth. But yes, it's been a very interesting area and a very fascinating dis discussion to get a very detailed picture of some of the important issues and challenges and opportunities using AI and procurement and your experience. And thank you so much for your time today, Julio. A very, very rich discussion. It was uh, great to be here, uh, Farigal. Thanks, uh, thanks for the invite. Thank you for listening to the Sustainable Value Chains podcast with EcoVadis. We hope you found it interesting. We'd love if you could share with your colleagues and leave a review. If you'd like to find out more about Ecovadis, please visit ecovadis.com.